from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. Shalom, my friends, and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm starting a series on the High Holy Days, the most widely observed Jewish holidays that begin next month. During this series, we'll take a look at how we prepare for the High Holy Days. We'll examine some of the rituals we do to mark these days, and we'll also look at the different lessons that each Holy Day teaches us, lessons that are so important and relevant for Christians and Jews alike. The way that I like to look at the High Holy Days is like a fountain of water that's flowing down from heaven onto earth, and this fountain flows nonstop. In order to drink from this water, we must get a cup so that we can scoop up some of this precious water and drink from it and let it nourish and bless our soul. The nourishment from the High Holy Days comes into the world no matter what. And we can either let that water flow past us without even realizing that it's happening, or we can take a cup to capture some of it for ourselves. But how do we get a cup? How do we tap into this spiritual blessing that is flowing from heaven into this world during the high holy day season? Well, Each of us can get a cup by recognizing and celebrating the High Holy Days and letting the lessons that they teach nourish us throughout the year. Each one of the High Holy Days has a different type of nourishment, really a type of blessing for our lives. And each holiday teaches us a different lesson or a spiritual attribute to grow from. These are lessons and blessings and messages directly from God. Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, teaches us freshness and newness. It gives us a rebirth. It also gives us the chance to set up a new course for the upcoming year in a practical way, one that will actually last. Ten days later comes Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and it teaches us forgiveness and the chance to focus on what we need in order to change ourselves. Four days later, we celebrate Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it teaches us the blessing of unity and bringing people together. And lastly, the last holiday in this group of what we call the High Holy Days, there is Simchat Torah, which teaches us to let go, to immerse ourselves in God's word and bring God's word with us into our lives throughout the year. In these biblical holy days, we are given specific dates based on the lunar calendar, the Hebrew calendar that we Jews still follow, just as our ancestors did thousands of years ago. This is the reason we still use a lunar calendar, while most of the world is using a solar calendar. The dates that the Bible outlines in the biblical holidays, including Rosh Hashanah, 
is the exact same date that we still celebrate today. These dates and these words of God are continuous and eternal, and we show our steadfast belief in his word by keeping these exact dates. We spend the entire month leading up to Rosh Hashanah as a time to prepare ourselves spiritually for these holy observances. This month is called Elul. The Hebrew month of Elul has 30 days, and the time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is 10 days, known as the 10 days of repentance. We use this entire 40-day period as a time of spiritual introspection, self-examination, and repentance. God is holding our hands as we do this because during the month of Elul, it's exactly what he wants us to do. Let me ask you, does that 40-day time period sound familiar? Many Christians observe the 40 days of Lent as a time to spiritually prepare themselves for Easter. According to the Torah, the first of Elul is when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the second set of the tablets containing the Ten Commandments. As I'm sure you remember, Moses broke the first set after coming down from Mount Sinai and discovering that the people had built a golden calf to worship. Well, Moses went back up to Mount Sinai and 40 days later, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he returned with the second set of commandments showing the people that God had forgiven them for the sin of the golden calf. During the month of Elul, we set aside more time for Bible study, prayer, and cultivating a relationship with God. Every day during this month, we blow the shofar, a ram's horn, during prayers to awaken our soul. We're going to take a closer look at the shofar in next week's podcast, but let's just say it has something to do with Akedat Yitzchak, when Isaac was almost sacrificed. The rabbis teach us that Elul is a time to make an accounting of the soul, to recognize our sins and to repent. And we ask questions like, what bad habits are holding me back from who I want to be? What do I need to change in my life because it's holding me back spiritually? This is the time to lay the groundwork for real and lasting change in the new year to come. This is the time to start the year on the right foot with real change, not some New Year's resolution that you follow just a few times and then never look at again. The main way that we lay the groundwork for meaningful and lasting resolutions is by using the three pillars of the Jewish High Holy Days. In Judaism, we say, Teshuvah, Tfilah, Utztakah, Ma'avirin et Ra Hagzerah. Which in English means repentance, prayer, and giving charity annul a bad decree. Repentance, prayer, and charity. These are the three pillars that help us along our journey throughout Elul. The guiding star, what we're yearning for, and trying to integrate into every area of our life. The first step is awakening our heart through the first pillar, repentance. Now, the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuvah. Could you say that with me? Say it out loud. Teshuvah, which quite simply means returning to God or getting right with God. Let's say that again. Teshuvah, 
It means repentance. Now, what is repentance or teshuvah in Judaism? You might think of repentance in the typical model of having sinned and then repenting. But in Judaism, teshuvah isn't complete until you are again put in that same situation that led to sin, but this time you choose differently. Then you've repented. It's not just about choosing differently in your heart, but being faced with the same challenge and making a better decision in action. You should know that repentance isn't a passive decision, but it's a very active one. When we are put into that same position again, we have to keep choosing the correct path, returning again and again and again, anytime we may stray, to go back to God's path. From this, we see that teshuvah, repentance, is a process. I believe in a very loving God. Do you? And I believe that God understands our failures. We're human. And part of being human is that we fail at many things. But our mission here is to continually work on ourselves. And how do we do that? By always returning to God. With this understanding in mind, we can also appreciate the Hebrew word for repentance, teshuvah. The root of the word teshuvah is shuv, which in Hebrew means return. Just as we read in Lamentations, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Interestingly, there's no Hebrew equivalent for the word sin. One of the words we use to indicate a wrongdoing is chet. That word literally means a miss. When someone aims an arrow at a target but fails to hit it, this is also called a chet, the same word in Hebrew that we use for a sin. What it really means is to miss. And this word implies that the shooter tried but missed the mark. Another Hebrew word used to denote wrongdoing is avera, which literally means cross over. This word indicates that a line was crossed. It suggests that there's a proper path and that the person, knowingly or mistakenly, went off track. Both of these words emphasize the idea that while we may miss the mark or veer off the path of righteousness, we can always correct our errors and return to the right path. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, we are directed, Return, shuvu, to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Our job is to return to God, to align our intentions and aspirations to his will. We may have missed the mark or crossed a line, but the important thing is to keep trying and improving. The next step on our journey to improve ourselves is the second pillar, tefillah, prayer. Prayer is about continuously working on our connection to God because Elul is also a time of love between us and God. In Hebrew, Ani Ledodi Vedodi Li is an acronym for Elul. And what it means is, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It's a beautiful verse, which is found in the Song of Songs. 
And there's a reason that this starts with ani, meaning me. We need to take the first step towards God. We need to build this relationship with him. Prayer isn't for God. He doesn't need to hear us praise him. He gives us prayer as a gift, an opportunity that we can take the first step towards him. He is always there waiting. It's us who have to awaken. We are like his bride, waiting to walk down the aisle towards him. And he is the groom, waiting for us under the chuppah, the traditional Jewish wedding canopy. He is always there. It's us who need to take the steps towards him. Something my beloved husband, Amichai, always says at weddings is what a rabbi once told him, that you always have to be looking for your soulmate. What does that mean? Why would you tell a bride and a groom ready to exchange their sacred marriage vows that they should always look for their soulmate? What it means is that you have to continuously look for your soulmate in your spouse. You have to realize that you're growing together and changing together. You have to be continuously curious about your spouse, to explore the person that they are and the person that they are becoming. Every single day, you have to make the same decision that you made when you walk down the aisle to marry this person. Loving someone is not a passive decision. It is an active one. This is how I can say that I love my husband more today than when I first walked down that aisle. Because I keep choosing him and knowing him deeper every single day, even 20 years later. So how is this connected to prayer? What does prayer have to do with continually choosing to understand and grow with your love? Think about it. How do you make your relationship with God an active choice rather than a passive one? Every good relationship is built on communication. And what is prayer but our communication with God? We have to keep choosing to talk to him, to want to be committed to him, to always strengthen our connection with God. Like repentance, this is not a one-time thing. Every time you are in the same situation, you have to strengthen your connection to God and your resolve and choose to walk with God on his path. There's no such thing as being over talking to God. We have to keep choosing him and keep renewing our vows to him on a regular basis. When you reach out in prayer to God by taking the steps towards him, you build your connection with love. And that connection through prayer is really powerful. My good friend, Dean Michelle Bachman, a former member of the U.S. Congress and now Dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University, was recently visiting me in Israel. We were traveling around the country, seeing some projects that the fellowship sponsors and really having a meaningful, deep spiritual time. When we returned to the hotel that we were staying at in Tiberias, we suddenly realized that Dean Bachman didn't have her bag. The bag contained everything that she needed. Her phone, her ID, her passports. Everything that she had in Israel that was important to her was in that bag. And it was missing. It was 10 o'clock at night and we didn't know what to do. 
And before we decided on our plan, do you know the first thing that we did? Can you guess? Yeah, we decided to pray. The first thing we did before calling the restaurant or calling the projects or calling the police, the first thing we did was we got together holding hands and we prayed. First, we prayed a prayer written by Rabbi Meir Balhanes, a Jewish holy man who actually was buried in Tiberias, which people pray when they want to find things, when they lose something and ask for protection over lost items. And after that, Dean Bachman said her own prayer of protection for her lost items. I felt her heart. I felt her soul. And I knew that God was going to protect her belongings. Do you know what happened right after, just a few minutes later? Well, after we finished prayer, one of my staff members came in and said, we found where the bag is. And there are kind people there who are responsible for keeping it safe until we go get it. They immediately left and came back just a few minutes later with Dean Bachman's bag with none of her things missing. It was all there. So what do you think? Would we have found the bag if we hadn't prayed? Wouldn't we have? Mm, We'll never know. But what we do know is that when we are at our most vulnerable spot, we have the ability to either get upset and get angry and yell or to make the decision to lift our voice up in prayer. It may not matter if the prayer did or didn't help us find Dean Bachman's bag. What matters is that we felt vulnerable. And in that vulnerable spot, we chose to strengthen our relationship with God. We chose where to turn our heart, and we turned it to prayer. In Psalm 17, we read a prayer of King David. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand. When we strengthen our love for God through our prayers, we develop effective skills to be open to blessings that his love pours down on us, and we are ready to share his love with others. Which brings us to the next step in our journey through the Hebrew month of Elul, the third and last pillar, charity. In Hebrew, the word for charity is stakah. It is comprised of two Hebrew words, tzedek, which means justice or righteousness, and ka, the name of God. Together, these words describe charity as the justice of God and as righteous giving. This is the manifestation of God's love for us and our love for ourselves. When we fill up our cup, we can then fill the cups of others. His love can keep flowing through us to others. We witness this every day at the fellowship through a program called With Dignity and Fellowship. Through this amazing program, we have committed to providing food to the poorest elderly in Israel every single week as long as they live. This program serves about 15,000 elderly in Israel, many of them Holocaust survivors or immigrants with no family nearby. We go to them and say, we will make sure that you have food until the end of your life. 
what we've realized is that you can't just give them a food box and leave. To these poor elderly who are never getting out of poverty, who don't have any family to help them, to really give them dignity is to give them food and to listen to them, to look at the whole person and to connect with them on a personal level, to let them know that they're not alone. Let me tell you what I mean. Last month, I was distributing food at a woman's house, and I realized that she was sleeping on the floor. This elderly lady didn't have a bed. And you know what? She never even asked us for a bed. Obviously, once we realized that she was sleeping on the floor, we couldn't leave her like that. A 90-year-old woman sleeping on the floor? Of course, we immediately provided her with a bed. What I've learned over the years from this program is that we can't see someone every week and not build a connection with them, just like regularly communicating with God through prayer. When we fill others' cups, we need to find a way to build a connection with them and to help them even more. Here's another amazing example of how this works at the fellowship. One of our elderly beneficiaries of With Dignity and Fellowship is a woman named Svetlana. She survived the Holocaust, and when the Iron Curtain fell in 1991, she was able to leave Russia and move to the country of her faith, to Israel. She settled in northern Israel in the town of Nazareth. And her beloved older sister, Ludmila, settled in the south of Israel in the Negev, in the desert. Svetlana told us that her older sister had taken care of her when she was young and was like an extra mother to her. But as they both aged, they could no longer take public transportation to visit each other, and they couldn't afford the cost of a taxi. So it had been six years since they had seen each other. During one of our visits, Svetlana told us that her mother's grave was in Beersheba, and more than anything, she wanted to visit her mother's grave one last time before the end of her life. So what did we do? We shared our cup of water with Svetlana, and not only did we provide her with transportation to her mother's grave, but we also found a way for her to be with her sister Ludmila on her 89th birthday. We held a birthday party with cake and candles, and it was a real celebration. The funniest thing was that they both told our volunteers on the way to meet each other how they were raised in a very austere family. There was not a lot of showing emotion or hugging and touching one another, so we shouldn't be surprised if they had a very serious visit. But you better believe that the moment they saw each other after not seeing each other for six years, their hearts were overflowed. There were tears pouring down their faces, and they were hugging each other so tightly, I thought they'd never let one another go. It was a beautiful sight. And this, to me, is how we really fill the cups of those around us, through tzedakah, through charity. So now we've completed the journey of Elul, a path of love, to learn to return to ourselves and to God through repentance, to strengthen our love for God through prayer, and finally to share ourselves and our blessings with others through charity. In Micah 6, 8, we read, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
following the pillars of repentance, prayer, and charity, and the journey through Elul to the High Holy Days teaches us how to walk with God on a daily basis as we learn to love and accept ourselves and to share that love and acceptance with others through our good deeds. This week, let's use this time to look at where we've been and where we want to go. What changes do you need to make in order to get there? How can you reconnect with God through daily prayer? What can you do to meet the needs of those around you? By taking these small but really significant steps, you will embark on your own spiritual journey that will bring you not only closer to God, not only closer to others, but closer to yourself. Join me next week as we look at the sounding of the shofar, the ram's horn, the main ritual associated with the high holy days, and what it teaches us about our purpose and our relationship to God. Shavuot tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.